to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, as we follow along with today's lesson. John, chapter 1, as we continue our journey Through the Bible John opens the gospel With the words in the beginning Was the word And the word was with God And God was the word Very similar to the opening of the Bible itself In the beginning God created The heavens and the earth Similar to the way that John opened his first epistle When he said that which was from the beginning Which we have seen Which we have heard Which we have handled Of the word of life And so he is declaring now This word, the logos Was With God in the beginning And that he was God The same he affirms in verse 2 Was in the beginning with God We understand That the Godhead Is made up of three persons Yet one God The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit So in Genesis 1-1 In the beginning God The word God is in the plural form The Elohim And the plural pronouns are used Throughout the creation days God said Let us make man in our image And after our likeness And so uh, much is spoken About Uh, The creation of the universe Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 That uh, Jesus was of course the creator Who is the image he said of the invisible God The firstborn of every creature For by him were all things created that are in heaven And that are in earth Visible, invisible Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers All things were created by him And for him Not only the creator but the object of creation And he is before all things 
and by him all things are held together. In the book of Revelation, as John takes us into the heavenly scene, and we see the throne of God surrounded by the cherubim. We hear the cherubim in their worship of God, declaring the eternal nature of God, holy, 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 which was, which is, and which is to come. And then the elders responding to that worship, saying, Thou art worthy to receive the glory and the honor, for thou hast created all things, and for your good pleasure they are and were created. So though there are many gods that are worshipped by different people, there is only one true and living God who is the creator of all things. That is the God that we worship. There are many people who the Bible speaks about worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And that is irrational. Now the place we're taking over in um, Murrieta Hot Springs uh, is going to take a lot of cleanup. And one of the things that it's going to have to be cleaned up is that the lesbians have been going down there to touch the water that comes from, they say, 50,000 feet deep in the earth. The well goes down or the spring goes down 50,000 feet. And so they go and put their feet in the water to get close to Mother Earth. And uh, the worship of the earth. And of course, this is uh, something that is quite common in the New Age the worship of the earth itself. And uh, so we'll get that cleaned up too. Uh, <laughs> but they worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And uh, that's, that's endemic to the world itself. Again, the affirmation in verse 3, all things were made by him. In the beginning, God created the Logos, all things were made by him. And as we read out of Colossians 1, uh, he uh, has created all things by him and for him. Were all things made that are made. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, Paul pretty much covered the bases too. As far as uh, declaring, you know, things visible, invisible, whether it be thrones, dimension, what he created all things. And uh, all things were made by him and for him. So this whole universe, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the whole universe. As the disciples prayed in Acts chapter 5 or, or 4, I guess after the threats by the uh, Sanhedrin, they said, O Lord, thou art God. Thou hast created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them, all of the life forms. And so that is the God that we worship. That is the God that we serve, the God who has created all things. And here we are told that it is none other than Jesus Christ who was the creator, all things made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. John tells us in his first epistle, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life 
and this life is in the Son, and he who has the Son has life. Here in John's Gospel, Jesus is recorded as saying, I have come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. The Lord has come to bring us abundant life, eternal life. This life is in him, and he who has the Son has life. This life, John tells us, is the light of men. Light in contrast to the darkness, the darkness of the world. So John goes on to say, The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, as you get many different uh, translations of the Bible, uh, it becomes obvious that this Greek phrase here is difficult to translate into English. There are some Greek words for which we do not have a true English equivalent. And this is one of those. And so one of the translations will read, and the darkness apprehended it not. But both of those, comprehended or apprehended, uh, gives the idea of not understanding, and of course that is so too. But another translation is, and the darkness could not extinguish it, or the darkness could not put it out. The light was shining in the darkness. The darkness could not put it out or extinguish it. Now, true that darkness did try to extinguish the light. They tried to put it out. And that is always the case of man. And Jesus tells us why. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and they will not come to the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. And so we find that uh, the Lord is speaking here of this light that came but men won't come to it. And because they hate the light, they seek to extinguish the light because it exposes the evil that is going on in the world today is exposed by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the life was the light of men. It shined in the darkness, but the darkness could not extinguish it or put it out, though it tried, it cannot. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. And then he went on to say to them uh, in a, another place that, um, oh, left me, okay. Uh, <laughs> so there was a man who was sent, now we get a little parentheses here. Uh, there was a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. The same came as a witness to bear witness of the light, 
that all men through him might believe. Now, the whole purpose of John's gospel is to bring people to a faith in Jesus Christ. He admits that. In the 20th chapter, John says, Many other things did Jesus which are not written. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. So John tells you that he's, he's deliberately recorded events, certain things of the life of Jesus, which prove that Jesus was the Son of God, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God so that you might have life through your faith in Jesus Christ. He came as a witness that all men through him might believe. John tells us concerning John the Baptist that he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That is the true light, that is Jesus, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. For he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And so the declaration concerning Jesus in the world, again the affirmation, the world was made by him. But the tragedy is that the world didn't know him. That remains a tragedy today. So much of the world doesn't know their creator. So much of the world is still in darkness, not having the light of life. Jesus said to his disciples, and here it comes, ye are the light of the world, and, and you are to uh, shine forth in the darkness of this world. The church is to be the light of the world. And uh, Jesus said concerning the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. They can't extinguish the light. It's interesting to me that in China, there's been a real endeavor to extinguish the light. When the communists took over in China, they put to death thousands of Christians and they made the worship of Jesus Christ uh, a crime that uh, was deserving of prison. Thousands upon thousands of Chinese were imprisoned because of their belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And after the years of persecution and the endeavor of the government to extinguish the light, as the bamboo curtain began to open, it was discovered that the church had grown almost exponentially in China and there were millions of believers in China in the house church. When we were over in China a few years ago, I was talking with one of the government leaders, Mr. Han. We were at um, a dinner together, and after dinner he invited us to come down uh, for a uh, cup of coffee. He wanted to talk to us. And um, so he was sharing with us how that 
There is a province there in China that they estimate 90% of the people in the province are believers. He said the interesting thing about these Christians is that when each province has to bring to the government its quota of rice, he said during the harvesting of the rice, there will be trucks lined up for 10, 15 miles uh, to deliver the rice they're quoted to the government. And he said they go through and inspect all of the loads of rice and, and it just takes hours uh, for them to get there. And he said, but when the Christians come from this province, they drive right up to the front and dump their rice. And, and all of the people waiting in line are complaining because how come you let them come right up and dump it? And he said they have discovered that from the Christians, the rice is always top quality. There are no rocks or gravel in it. And the others all put gravel and all to bring the weight up. And so they go through and carefully inspect, you know, the, the rice that is dumped from all of these other provinces. But he said the Christian province, we can trust them because they're Christians. And though the government doesn't really understand Christianity and has sought to squelch the light, yet they, under, they do see the effect of the light in the witness of the good rice that the Christian province always brings in bringing their quota to the government. Good witness. We need to be those kind of witnesses for the Lord. So John came for a witness. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness of that light, the true light that lights every man who comes into the world. In the world, world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came to his own, and this is the real tragedy. He came as the Messiah to Israel, the promised Messiah. God had promised that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David to order it and establish it in justice and in righteousness from henceforth even forever. The promise of the Messiah to come and reign. He came to his own. But tragically, his own received him not. The prophecy of Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Despised and rejected. As Daniel prophesied, but the Messiah will be cut off and thus he was cut off. He came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. Tonight, God has given to us who believe in Jesus Christ and who have received him, he's given us the power to become the sons of God. Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us, John said, that we should be called the sons of God. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doesn't yet appear what we're going to be. We know when he appears, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And of course, um, the scripture said that God has given to us uh, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, The Bible said if we are sons, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that the whole world is groaning and travailing together, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God to wit the redemption of our bodies. But now I am a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I've been given that power, that authority to be a son of God. And then he says, which were born, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The sovereignty of God in salvation, born again, not by the will of man, the will of the flesh, but by God. And the word was made flesh, the incarnation. God said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us or made his tent among us more literally or tabernacled among us. The mystery of the incarnation. Paul speaks about it to Timothy. Great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. The Bible is very clear and very distinct in this declaration. Affirming over and over that God was manifested in the flesh, in the person, of course, of Jesus. That marvelous book of Hebrews opens up uh, with a uh, lesson concerning Jesus. God, who at sundry times, divers manners, spoken to us by the fathers, hath, uh, or to the prophets, fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his own dear son, whom he has made or appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Again, the declaration that Jesus was the active one in the creation of the universe, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, All things are held together by him. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down by the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again, I will be unto him a father, and he will be unto me a son. And again, when he brings the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all of the angels of God worship him. So the book of Hebrews declaring much the same concerning Jesus Christ, the creator, 
but he is the outshining of the glory of God. He is the express image of, of God. And that is why Jesus in the 14th chapter of John could say to Philip, have I been so long a time with you and haven't you seen me, Philip? Don't you realize that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? How sayest thou then, show us the Father? So he was the express image God manifested in the flesh. The Word was made flesh and pitched his tent among us. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have handled of the Word of life, for that Word was manifested. And of course, we beheld his glory and all. So, uh, here John tells us that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. There are those who uh, sort of say, well, we're all sons of God, trying to put yourself on a par with Jesus. Not so. We are sons by adoption. He is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Mormons would make Jesus a brother to Lucifer, but that it would then imply that Lucifer was begotten by God. But the declaration is that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father and full of grace and full of truth. Now, John, bear witness of him. This is a treatise designed to prove to you that Jesus is the Son of God. So in offering the proof, that Jesus is the Son of God, John is going to bring before us various witnesses to witness of this fact. Just like an um, attorney presenting a case in court, calling in the various witnesses. And the first witness that he gives is John the Baptist. He will later bring in God as a witness. He'll bring in the Holy Spirit as a witness to bear witness of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's presenting the case, bringing the witnesses to verify the truth that he is affirming in this gospel. Incidentally, inasmuch as the gospel was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. This is an excellent book to encourage an unbelieving friend to read. Because the design of the book is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And there's a very interesting scripture in Isaiah 
that says that as the rain comes down from the heaven and waters the earth and returns not thither, but gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, saith the Lord. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish the purpose for which I have sent it. So the purpose for which God has sent this gospel of John is to confirm and affirm to you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And God's word won't return void. And thus, as a person reads, faith is planted in their heart to believe Jesus as the Son of God. So John bare witness of him. He cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, the one that was coming after me, who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, John the Baptist was a cousin to Jesus, and John was born before Jesus, half a year or so older than Jesus. But John affirms, he is preferred before me, for he was before me, indicating the preexistence of Jesus in glory. And of his fullness have we all received grace, for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld that. John said, I was a witness. But now John the Baptist is bearing witness of this, that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, and again the emphasis, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him or manifested him uh, or led him forth in full revelation. He has revealed him. The Bible says that no man can look on God and live. When, when Moses asked, I'd like to see you, God said, you can't see me and live, Moses. You stay in the cleft of the rock, I'll pass by, and you can see the afterglow. And that was so powerful that it irradiated his face. And when he came down, had to cover it with a veil. But you can't see God and live. But the only begotten Son, bosom of the Father, he hath manifested, revealed him unto us, declared him. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John was down there at the river Jordan baptizing and Thousands of people were coming down. He, he was a popular prophet. They, the people were drawn to him. And so the priests sent their emissaries down to say, to ask him the question, just who are you anyhow? And, and they asked him, by what authority do you baptize these people? And so they came down and John confessed. He denied not. He confessed I am not the Messiah. 
And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Then are you that prophet, the one that Moses prophesied, There shall arise a prophet like unto myself, and to him shall you give heed. Are you that prophet? And he answered, No. Then who are you? Now, the, there's an interesting thing here. When they asked him, Are you Elijah? He answered, No. Yet before his birth, his father Zacharias, you remember the story in Luke chapter 1, was a priest. And he had come in to serve his two-week term, and his lot fell to offer the incense before the Lord. And when he went in to offer the incense, the angel Gabriel was standing there beside the altar, and he was frightened. And the angel Gabriel said, Fear not, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Well, it turns out he was an old man and his wife was very old and they had never had a child. And they'd been praying that God would give them a child, a son. Now, how many years had they been praying that? <laughs> when, when the angel said, Your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son, he says, you know, how can that be? She's old and stricken with years. The word stricken means bent over. Osteoporosis. And, and so the, the angel declared, well, you want a sign? You won't be able to speak until the day the child is born. But when the angel announced that he was going to have a son, he was to call his name John, the angel told him that uh, he would go forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi, the last chapter, God promised, prophesied, that he was going to send Elijah again to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers, that Elijah would be the forerunner of the Messiah and the kingdom age. So the Jews have been looking for Elijah. You know, at their Passover feast, they always leave the door open. They always set an extra place at the table just in case Elijah shows up this year. And we want to have a place set for him. The forerunner of the Messiah. It's a promise in Malachi. In fact, the very last part of, of the last chapter of Malachi is this promise of Elijah. Now, Jesus, after the death of Elijah by the order of Herod at the request of uh, Herodias' uh, daughter who danced before him, uh, when he beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus, when he heard of John's death, said, what went you out in the wilderness to see? What did you go out there for? Did you want to just see the reeds by the river blowing in the wind? Did you just want to see a prophet? 
Jesus said, Yea, more than a prophet. For this was he of whom the scriptures spake. And, and, and Jesus declared that he was Elijah, if you're able to receive it. This is Elijah of whom the scriptures spake. Now, if Jesus said he was Elijah, why is it that John said he wasn't Elijah? Because the prophecy of Elijah's coming in Malachi is the coming of Elijah before the Lord comes in glory to establish his kingdom. So when they said to Jesus one day, how is it then that the scriptures say Elijah must first come? And Jesus said, Elijah shall first come. But if you can receive it, John was Elijah. Now, John went forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he wasn't the fulfillment of the prophecy of Elijah's coming to prepare the way of the Messiah and the establishing of the kingdom. So that Elijah said, no, in other words, I'm not here uh, as, the, as the fulfillment of the prophecy that's going to set up the kingdom of God. But yet he was there in, uh, as the, in the spirit and the power of Elijah uh, as a forerunner. But Elijah shall come. In Revelation chapter 11, of course, we read of the two witnesses. And uh, certainly one of those two witnesses will be Elijah. The other one... We don't know for certain. So, are you then Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Then who are you? That we might give an answer to those that said, look, we've been sent down here to find out who you are. Now, we've got to go back and report. So who are you? Who shall we tell them you are? What do you say of yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one that is crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So I'm the voice of one in the wilderness. I've come to, to tell you to make straight the ways of the Lord. Uh, it is interesting that in those days, whenever a king was going to travel uh, throughout the province or the kingdom, there would be forerunners who would go before the king to get together crews of people to repair all the highways, removing the rocks, filling in the low places, and, and just smoothing the way so that when the king came, he would have a smooth ride. Prepare the way, for the king is coming, was the idea. Prepare the roads, get things ready, get things spruced up, the king is coming. And so he, he said, I, that's what I am. I'm just one that's gone before to tell everybody, prepare things, the king is coming. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, why do you baptize then if you're not that Messiah or Elijah, neither that prophet? And John answered saying, I baptize with water. But there is one standing among you whom you do not know. He it is who is coming after me, as who is preferred before me, whose sandals I am not worthy to unloose. 
And so these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Now the next day, John saw Jesus coming unto him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the earth. And so John's proclamation concerning Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. Now the people were very familiar with uh, lambs being used as a sacrifice in the sin offerings. They were very familiar with the experience of their fathers in Egypt where the lamb was sacrificed and the blood put on the side doorpost and upon the lintel of the house so that the firstborn would not be slain. They, they were very familiar with the sacrificial lambs in order to put away sin. And so the declaration, as John saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Peter later writing said, for we are redeemed from our vain life, our life of emptiness, not with the blood of bulls or goats, not with silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who was slain as a lamb without spot and without blemish. Jesus became God's sacrificial lamb to put away our sins. In Genesis, we read concerning Abraham, who was commanded of the Lord to offer to him his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved, to offer him as a sacrifice on the mount that God would show him. And Abraham gathered his servants, and with Isaac they journeyed for three days from Hebron until they came to Mount Moriah there at Jerusalem. And as Abraham had the servants wait at the base of the mountain, he and his son started up the mountainside. And Abraham's son said, Dad, you forgot something. We've got the wood, we've got the fire, but you forgot the sacrifice. And Abraham said, Son, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And so as he built the altar, put Isaac on it, as he raised the knife, God said, Okay, hold it, that's far enough. Behold, a ram's caught in the thicket, taken off it. Now I see that you would not withhold anything from me. And so Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh. And he said, the Lord will provide in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So they were familiar with, with sacrifices. And so John declaring, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There on Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered Isaac, there God offered his only begotten son, whom he loved, to be the sacrifice for our sins. John said, this is he of whom I said, after me there's coming a man 
which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John said, I, I, I saw the Spirit of God just coming like a dove and descending and lightning upon him. And the one that sent me to baptize, I didn't know who the Messiah was, but he, he told me that whoever I saw the Spirit descending and remaining on him, that was the one. And so he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So here's our witness. These things we write unto you that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing. So here's the witness. John says, I saw and I bear witness. This is the Son of God. So now we have our first witness of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Now again, the next day after, when John was standing with two of his disciples, and they were looking upon Jesus as he walked, John said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. Here is a real man of God. Of course, we know that John said, He must increase and I must decrease. To his own disciples, those that were following John, when Jesus walked by, he, he turned them away from him and said, There he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wasn't trying to hold man unto himself. His purpose wasn't to build a group around himself. And, and we find that so often uh, this happens in, in, in ministries, in churches, where a person is trying to draw a, a group around himself. Not so with John. He was seeking to point men to Jesus to turn them from him to Jesus. And so to two of his disciples, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said unto them, What are you seeking? And they said unto him, Rabbi, and notice John now interprets this Hebrew word, Rabbi, he said, which is to uh, say, being interpreted, master or teacher, where do you live? Where are you dwelling? And Jesus said, come and see. The beginning of Jesus drawing disciples unto himself, beginning with these two disciples of John the Baptist, who John pointed to Jesus and said, that's the one. Behold, the Lamb of God. And so they came and they saw where he was dwelling, and they abode with him that day, for it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. 
And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. Now the interesting thing about Andrew, we read about him a few times. He's always named with those who were called apostles. But whenever we find Andrew, we find him bringing people to Jesus. That seemed to be his ministry. Uh, When the multitude was out on the hillside, they didn't have uh, any food except uh, they said, well, there's a little boy here with five loaves and two fish. And, and, And Jesus said, well, bring him to me. And Uh, Andrew brought the little boy to Jesus. It was Andrew. When the Greeks came just before the crucifixion and said, we would see Jesus, Philip went to Andrew and said, they want to see Jesus. And Andrew Andrew came to Jesus uh, concerning it. So he was always bringing people to Jesus, a good ministry to have. And so... He first finds his own brother, Simon. And he said unto him, We have found the Messiah. And again, he interprets, which interpreted is the Christ. I think that sometimes um, the word Christ has become to us almost a name uh, rather than... uh, a designation of of his mission as the anointed one, uh, the Messiah. And so quite often, uh, you've no doubt noticed that when we come to the word Christ, I use the term Messiah because that, it, it just has a different connotation in our minds. Somehow we don't always associate. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, we think of that as first, middle, and last name. And uh, because we have, you know, first, middle, and last names, and so we're prone to think of that as first, middle, and last name. Lord is not his name. That's his title that signifies our relationship to him. Jesus is his name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. A beautiful name because it means Jehovah is salvation. Yahshua. Christ is is, is declaring his mission. That's who he is. He is the promised Messiah. That's not his name. That's who he is, the Messiah. So John, however, interprets it to the Greeks because the, the Greek word Messiah means the same as the Hebrew, the anointed one, the anointing. Now, whenever a king was inaugurated, they would pour a vessel of oil over his head. And that was the anointing for the king. So Jesus being God's anointed is that he is God's king, the one that God has appointed king. You remember when Samuel uh, was told by the Lord to go down to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse uh, and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the king over Israel because God had rejected Saul because Saul was disobedient and would not submit to God. God rejected Saul from reigning. 
So he came down to the house of Jesse, and Jesse prayed at his sons through, and he saw the first son, Eliab, and he was good-looking and, and well-built and all, and he thought, oh, yes, this is surely the one. And God said, no, no, uh, you look on the outward appearance, I'm looking on the heart. And so he prayed at his sons through, and finally Samuel said, well, is, is that all there is? Oh, well, no, we got one little kid out there in the field, he's watching the sheep, but... You know, he's just a little guy. Bring him in. So when he saw David, he took the oil and he poured it over David. Can you imagine what David must have thought saying there? This old man is there pouring oil over his head, you know. But that is the anointing, the anointed one, anointed to be king. The same was true of the prophet. Anointed for the office by the pouring of the oil upon him. So the anointed one, the Messiah... Would, would indicate it is God's anointed king and God's anointed priest. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the Lamb of God. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 1 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless and keep you in His love through the power of His Holy Spirit as you are enriched in your walk with Jesus Christ day by day as He ministers to you His strength, His power. And may you begin to experience more and more in your own life that power of God's love transforming you and changing you and making you into His image by His Spirit which dwells within you. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Pastor Greg Laurie. Rarely does a man come along that literally changes a generation. But such a man came, and that man is here tonight, and his name is Chuck Smith. Yeah. 
Join Pastor Greg in an exclusive interview with Pastor Chuck. Listen to rarely heard stories and memories in Chuck's own words about the events that influenced him and how he, in turn, influenced so many. We have only one life and it'll soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. To order a copy of the special DVD with Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673. Again, the number to call is 800-272-WORD.